Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Just think of this week's episode as a snack. It's episode 463 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. There's a new Adult Swim series. It's going to be coming on April 2nd called Royal Crackers, and we have, oh, just a royal amount of guests to talk to this week about that show that's going to be premiering, and we're talking about series creators and executive producers that are going to be joining me this week. That means Jason Rees and South Cohen, along with cast members Jessica St. Clair, David Biori, and Miley Flanagan to talk about this just crazy family in this wild show about a cracker company. Trust me, there's a lot more to it than that. We also have Avatar The Way of Water, which just hit digital HD. I'll give you my review of that. Also, Batman The Doom That Came to Gotham, the brand new Elseworlds movie from Warner Brothers Animation. Yet yeah, we'll talk about that. Joe Casada's got a brand new job. There's a Marvel chief that now does not have one and a whole bunch of series on the move. So I'll get to that as well. But first up, yeah, we're going to talk about some royal crackers. Let's get into the Adult Swim animated series up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is voice actor Roger Craig Smith, and you guys are listening, you lucky people, to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And we're back. Who's ready to fight over the worst inheritance ever? Royal Crackers is premiering on Adult Swim coming up on Sunday, April the 2nd. I was so lucky to get a chance to talk to the executive producers and the creator of the series and some of the cast members this week, I actually want to start with creator Jason Ruiz, who also voices Steve, and he's an executive producer, and executive producer Seth Cohen, to really give you an idea of what this crazy show is about. Seth and Jason, how you guys doing? Great. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to, meet, nice to meet you guys as well. So where'd you come up with the idea for this crazy show? I remember we started developing the show, and we started talking about doing just an animated show together, and at the time, I was... Nobody has any trouble making this comparison for me. You know, I was watching Succession. I was really into it. I think it was its second season at the time. That's what I was watching at the time that we started kind of developing an idea that just happened to be the case. And then, you know, I thought to myself, I remember watching it one night and thinking like, I think it'd be hilarious if the stakes were treated this high for a company, but it was just about a shit, like 10th tier like snack food company, nope. you know, and something really inane where the, the coveted seat did not feel that coveted to the audience or, or needed to be that coveted. And, and the comedy of that, of these characters just fighting for it intensely. But like, why? Like, why do you guys care about this thing? I mean, that, that I just really like the idea of that. So that's, that's kind of where the start of the idea happened. Excellent. Seth, I want you to jump in on this one because we've seen a lot of dysfunctional families in animation over the years. Where do you think the Hornsby family ranks among some of the worst? (laughs) That's a fun question. Well, I think one of the things that I love about them is there is a sort of love underneath where, you know, the the show is not a parody of 
succession, but certainly inspired by, but those people are like vipers, man. Like those, I mean, in some ways they're almost more cartoonish than our characters because there's no sort of dimensionality. They're just so fucking mean to each other where our characters, they're horrible people. They're absolutely intolerable to their son, but they do, they will come together and sort of like, help each other you know it's one of those things you're like you know i can call my brother a jerk you can't call my brother a jerk right and so when they team up that's that those are the moments where i'm like it it, i love that it's such a fun ride but it also strikes me as true where like a family can kind of pivot from like fighting each other to then fighting everyone else in such a fun way so they're they're not the worst family but you know that is that is very true. I, I want you guys to both jump in on this one because you've got Steve on one side and you got Theo on the other. They both have very different personalities, but I kind of feel like they change a bit. They change more and more that they push each other. They kind of change their personalities as they're pushing each other. So do you kind of feel like they're fighting? Does it bring out the best in the other one or is it kind of the opposite? Man, that's a good question. I think that they, when they bump heads, when they become in direct conflict, they're both just they dig their trenches and get more reinforced in their flaws both of them and i think the journey that that then creates is them kind of pulling back on those things that they're so reinforced in and kind of giving leverage to the other but yeah no it probably brings the worst out of them for sure on the on the get-go yeah they're they're probably much worse versions of themselves they fight dirty they they cheap shot each other they 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 diminish each other that they're they're like awful people until someone else comes along and then they become the sort of target james which episodes have you seen just out of curiosity I, I, i saw the first three okay great yeah i mean like so when theo and steve get in that fight it's like you know, Steve calls him a bird brain. Like, right. You can't, you can't do, do that. that. Yeah, no, you just don't. And meanwhile, Theo wishes he, <laughs> Steve was dead. So yeah, they, they become really, really ugly versions of themselves. It's funny too, though, because Jason, obviously the voice of Steve on the show, it, on the surface, he seems like he's a dull guy, like he's an ordinary guy, but he's all at the same time, he's not. So how do you actually describe this guy? I, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of summarize him. I think he's, I, I think in like the early days of like writing him with the writer's room, like one of the things that I kind of was very adamant about is like this idea of him playing a role. Like he he goes like, yeah, I'm not the party guy. That's Theo, you know, and him like trying to be comfortable with being like, you know what, I'm the nuts and bolts, you know, responsible figure of this family. And I and I'm the one that gets things done. But he's not. He's not at all. He wants to play that role. And he wants to be that version of himself, but he's just not. He's as lazy as anybody else and in the family. And but he's he thinks that there is a role that has been given to him that he has to play. And him like struggling to fit into that role is where I think a lot of his conflict comes from because he's not respected at all. Nobody respects him, uh, which is kind of required uh, uh, if you're going to run a company. You know, it's just it's a guy who's really trying to fit a mold that he just can't fit. Yeah, not a lot of respect floating around that room in general. That's that's for sure. <laughs> that's true. There's no that's doubt true. about that. There's some yeah. really great writing on the show, like you guys mentioned with the writers' room. But you also have an amazing cast. 
to go along with yeah. that. Seth, I definitely want to get your opinion on this as well. Do you kind of feel like Jessica, David and company, they really kind of take this show to the next level? Yeah, it's funny to talk about Jessica because she was, we, we were kind of looking, that was one where there wasn't a sort of like, I mean, I think she is a comedy queen. You know, If you're in the comedy business, you know who she is. But all just to like listen to her voice, like I hope this isn't insulting, but she just sounds rich, you know. Like her, <laughs> it sounds like she comes, you know. Her name is Jessica St. Clair. Like she just, her voice sounds like a rich woman. But and I think like no one would hear, no one's hearing my voice going like that. Sounds like a rich guy, you know. And for the record, Jessica's not not rich <laughs> well, at all. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's scale all the time but i think like she also brings such a like sort of like humanity to that character mm-hmm. who like you know there is a sort of like wanting in in her voice in her performance like all of these characters want to be something they're not and she certainly does i think like you know santino is another character who like you know andrew the the real person is a guy from like Chicago, you know, sort of blue collar Chicago guy, but his, the way he's able to sort of find in Theo, like this guy who, who, who probably missed his shot to be something great. And his, his next choice is to like be the CEO of a company he is completely not ready for. Like he, he finds those sort of nuances in that performance also. And I think like, each character sort of each voice is able to bring such a texture and embody who they're playing in a way that like I haven't really experienced that personally as a producer like these characters the cast is just fantastic Santino was not what I was imagining uh voice wise for for Theo initially but Seth suggested him and you know I was I was a fan of his uh I love his podcast and everything that he does and I he was very kind enough to send us an an audition and there was like there was a humanity he brought to Theo that I just didn't see before I didn't hear I didn't imagine him having this amount of vulnerability and humanity and reality and that just really blew the character open for us like that made writing him so much easier and I can say that about everybody on the cast like once they were cast writing those characters became a thousand times easier. No doubt about that. You guys have got some great guest stars as well. As a matter of fact, before I let you go, you got to work with Gilbert Gottfried for one of the one of the episodes in these first few episodes of the season. What was it like having him be a part of the show and play just such this off-the-wall character? Incredible. I was really excited to work with him. And he was he, he really there was an amazing experience working with him that that day in that so he he showed up he showed up two hours late to the record. And, you know, it's like, listen, the guy's been in the business forever and, you know, voiceover work forever. I mean, you know, I, it, I would be an asshole to presume that, like, he's, he should be really excited about getting a voice on Royal Crackers. I would never. And but he showed up two hours late and we we're just like, OK, great. And then I said to him, I was like, I was like, Gilbert, very sincerely, I was like, Gilbert, thank you so much for being here. It was like just it's an honor to have you and we're so excited and he's like well i have no idea what this is and i was like great great thank you gilbert and then you know we start doing we start going through lines and recording it and 
and he's and he's doing it but he's doing it in a way where it's like you know it's like a guy like just like showing up to work and just you know running through the running through the motions and then it and then it took this turn where it got to the death stuff they got to the real like kind of heart of the show of the, of the episode of of Dio's comeback tour and i i remember this moment where i kind of told him i was like i was like no like in the scene cuz he hadn't read the script it was like no in the scene like you're sacrificing yourself you're like killing yourself essentially and i saw him like just like perk up like and just and just go oh oh okay and then it was like after that turn of like telling him that and giving him like something serious to work with i mean he just was like it was it was like he turned a dial on that wasn't on before it was just like all of a sudden he was just like delivering the lines perfectly and would even he even requested to go back and like re-record lines he had already done and like he was just all in and it was amazing and it was just like and then at the end he got like very curious and was like so when's this come out like when can i see this can somebody send this to me he just got very into the show and it meant everything to me because you know this is like at the very beginning of production well, that episode's pretty early on and i remember it just being this huge vote of confidence for me because it was like here was this guy done a thousand voiceover roles, a, a million voiceover roles, and just has been in the business forever. And he comes in and he all of a sudden, like, we sold him. Like, he gave a shit, you know, about this one. Like, this one, he was like, oh, okay. And became really invested in it. And, you know, it's it, if somebody pays me a compliment, it's very easy for me to twist that in my head and go like, well, they're just saying that or, they, you know, they have to say that or whatever. But for somebody to kind of just like through their actions and through like whatever it was, two hours with them in a booth, like really give me this confidence and this this compliment was it meant everything. So yeah, it was he was incredible. It was it was amazing working with him. You guys will see that and so much more on Royal Crackers premieres. It's first three episodes on April second on Adult Swim, and then next day on HBO Max. Wait till you see this crazy family these guys have cooked up. Jason, Seth, thank you so much for taking your time. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thanks, James. Speaking of this crazy family, it is time to talk to the cast. That means Jessica St. Clair, who plays Deb. Also, Miley Flanagan, who plays Matt. And then, of course, David Biori, who plays Darcy, who's not actually a family member, but he's, but he's, but he's in the family. You'll understand when you hear the conversation. How's everybody doing? Great. How are you? Very, very good. First question's an easy one. Just how crazy is this family? As hell. Crazy oh. as hell. That's right. <laughs> They are the they are the craziest family you'll ever meet, and the things that happen to them are crazier than you can even imagine. It starts at eleven and goes yes. to a thousand. It starts at eleven. I love that. I love that. Well, David, your your character actually Darby's not actually a Hornsby, but he's kind of indirectly part of the family, whether he likes it or not. So, how and why does he put up with them? Uh, I think he has a strong love for the family. I think he's truly. He loves those people. You know, he's a fan of Taint, which already says a lot for, you know, where his personal interests lie. And I think that he's just, he's been with them for a long time. I think he probably had a similar loyalty to Hornsby Sr. And I, I think that this is a kind of a kind of a chosen family for Darby. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Jessica, for you, I feel like Deb and Steve, have they're a very interesting couple to say the least, how would you sort of describe their marriage? You know, at first I thought, oh, well, this is, you know, a classic, like, 
you know, the wife harangues the husband, the like meek husband. But then as, as I started to read the other scripts, they have a very vibrant and gross sex life. It's kind of aspirational. They weirdly have each other's back in almost every scenario. So it's like they complete each other. But when I say that, it's like not two normal people completing each other. It's like two absolute weirdos that would fit with nobody else have found each other. They're terrible parents. They're not good at running a business. But I think Deb really encourages Steve to like locate, you know, not big dick energy because I don't think that's possible, but something approximate to that. So we aspire to the BDE, but we don't quite reach it. Okay. You'd have to have a D, you know what I mean? To get to that BDE, you know, but yeah, just almost like think about someone, you know, who has it and maybe try to act like them. We, we just went from BDE to DMI really quick there, That's but that right. describes the show pretty well, actually. Yes. So Miley, we we're talking about bad parenting. It yeah. feels like Matt tries to stay out of the drama as much as possible, but yeah. seems to get dragged into it anyway. So how do you think Matt feels about his parents and his uncle? I don't think he feels much. I think he's sort of in a semi comatose state from the enormous amount of sugar and hamburgers he inhales at any given occasion. But I think he's observing it all and I think he cares for them. And he's like the quiet kid in class, right? Then years later you're on social media and you're like, wow, that guy was a great drummer. And that is actually what Matt, it, you know, you'll see in future episodes. It's like, who's the drummer? Like, well, he was the weirdo in school, right? The biggest weirdo is always like the guy that turns out to be like, I don't know, the front man for, Turns out to be like Kurt Cobain, <laughs> you know. You're like that kid was dull. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I think he's kind of the heart of the show, but he's just he's slow. His whole world is slow. I like the drummer tease. That's not one in one of the episodes they sent us to. So now, now I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait to see I, how that kind of turns anything. out. I'm not saying anything. That that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. So I know there was some great writing in the show. There was a great writers' room. I was just talking to to Seth and Jason about that. But I was I'm curious as to whether or not you all were actually able to ad lib at all because I know that can tend to happen from time to time as well. Yeah, we were we were able to you know if we wanted to add our own thing, he would always give us a take or two to do whatever we wanted. That feels really fun. It feels really collaborative. But the great part about this show is it was already so funny that we didn't feel any pressure to like fix anything or like, you know, it was just, if we wanted, possibly we could add something. It was hard to imagine beating what they had on the page. David, what do you say? Yeah, similar. I think that, yeah, a lot of times, you know, Jason would be like, let's do it this way. And then come in and if you have anything weird to say, which I often do, he, he gave us a lot of space for that. But the show, it was just so funny as written. So there was a little bit, there was a lot of space for it. And then a few of them they took, but a lot of it is just the script because the scripts were so specific and funny. Mila, would you kind of agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was thrilled to be able to do some of that, but actually watching the shows, I was like, yeah, I don't think any of that made it in there, you know, but it makes you feel comfortable and contributing looser. And I'm sure some of it ends up in there, but God, we did it so long ago in a bubble, working alone in a booth, you know, them on Zoom. So it, it's all our, I think our all our ideas are sort of in this fluid wave motion of when did that happen? You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no doubt about that. Yeah. I know it's like you said, it's been a while since you guys probably recorded this thing, but do you kind of remember, did you all have a favorite character that you love to pair up 
in scenes with, for some reason, for me, it was Darby and Theo. I couldn't get enough of the Darby and Theo come up. So I'm going to go around the room and I guess David, we'll start with you in that, in that sense. Did you have a favorite character team up? Yeah. To, like I just love Theo in general because I think that he reminds me of a lot of guys from like middle school, high school who sort of never grew up and are still in that like <laughs> yep. biscuit phase. And then I think Darby's relationship with him is like, he wants to take care of him, but he's also kind of in awe of him and he's a big fan of him and stuff like that. So I'd agree with like, as far as like playing scenes and stuff like that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun and having an offensive handshake. I mean, who doesn't want that? You know what I mean? Oh, no doubt. So Miley, what about you? Man, I don't, that's a hard one. I do have a lot of interaction with people and sort of in specific episodes with different members of the family, but I guess, Maybe it would be a flashback to the relationship between Matt and his grandpa before the Suko or whatever it's called. <laughs> like, what was that all? Like, who spoke? What happened? <laughs> you know, what were their deep conversations? Probably nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, what about you? I really enjoyed, this is, sounds so weird, but I really enjoyed like the, when D Steve and Deb try to get romantic, even though like doing the, the half of that scene in a booth alone <laughs> while you are recorded is one of the most horrifying things you could ever be asked to do. But I do, I love their like weird playfulness and how like their idea of a date night is like pulling out the sofa bed and watching Antique Roadshow while they overdose on CBD gummies. Like that, <laughs> you know, that's, that's goals. That, that that for some reason that episode's been embedded in my soul since I watched it. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know either. So I think we're all in trouble at this point. Yeah. One of the ongoing stories of this season is how, you know, we're trying to find out who the heir is going to be to this royal cracker fortune. And do you do you think it's kind of like, is greed driving everything or are they all just idiots? Oh. I think it's more idiots than greed, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> like, if we had to pick one or the other, I think it definitely leans a lot more towards they're just kind of dumb, and this is a job maybe they all think they want, but might not know what it is in actuality. I think Deb really wants to elevate the family, right. but, like, her idea of classy, you know, is having a bidet, you know, in her bathroom. So it's like, these are goals that, for a lot of people would be achievable, but for these guys, they'll never get their bidet, but they, they'll die trying. No doubt about that. And you guys will find out exactly how far they are going to go on April yeah. 2nd. That's when Royal Crackers premieres on Adult Swim with the first three episodes, by the way, and the next day on HBO Max as well. And they've got so much fun in store for you. Jessica, David, Miley, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And what they're saying is true. This show will definitely give you succession vibes with the, just the off the wall stuff that happens to this family in these episodes. It's it's almost like a succession meets family guy type vibe for me. And, and, and that is one of the best compliments that I could possibly give because there's just something about this family and what they're trying to achieve. And like they said, maybe, maybe it's just not worth achieving. That's just so funny. And it just, again, the wacky stuff is, is just so off the wall and perfect for adults when makes you watching Sunday night, 11 PM Eastern on Adult Swim for Royal Crackers and next day on HBO Max because if you're a fan of Adult Swim, this one's definitely one that should be on your list. Again, thanks to everyone from Royal Crackers for joining me to talk about the show. This week, up next, it's review time. I'm going to talk about Avatar The Way of Water, which is now available on Digital HD. We'll dig into that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Clarissa Tebow from Marvel's Runaways, and you're listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. The world of Pandora has officially expanded. Avatar The Way of Water is now available on Digital HD, so it's time for me to give my review. And full disclosure... Walt Disney Studios did give me a copy of this digital HD movie for review. All opinions here are my own. And I got to say, as somebody who has not really been a fan of Avatar from the beginning, I really went into this one with an open mind. And of course, I was familiar with the story and everything like that. You know, I need a little bit of a refresher because it's been a while. But basically what you have here, I'm not going to drop a whole ton of spoilers. I know that everybody and their brother and sister and and best friend's aunt have seen this movie, okay? I understand that. But I don't want to drop too many spoilers here for anybody that hasn't. But I'll give you a warning when I do. So basically what you have here is the very beginning of this movie, and one of the smartest things that they could have done is the very beginning of this movie Set, it, it basically centers around Jake, Sully, and Natiri and their family and building their family and building their life and what sort of happened in the gap and the time gap that happens between the first Avatar movie and this one. That, that gap of time, they sort of really quickly fill you in on what was happening. But then once you get this family and you, and you see the bond of them together, then you get the other side of it is the sky people. And that's what I'm going to refer to them as is the sky people, because that's what they refer to them as. And you basically seen, you see, you see Quatrich is back and now he's got a whole army of avatar. Now he's an avatar himself. So they've got clones, they've got avatars. So they're going to basically fight the avatars with the avatars basically is, is for, for lack of a better way of putting it. So then you see the big battle and you see that Jake Sully has to take his family and they have to flee. So they flee the forest and they go to the reef people. And that's the biggest spoiler that I'm going to give you right there. And, but that's not a spoiler because it's in the friggin' trailer and the name of the, of the movie is The Way of Water. So you should kind of figure that out. Now, once they get to the reef people and, you know, there's some reluctance there. So Sully's the outsider all over again. That's number one. Number two is the fact that all of his kids are, 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 are half-breeds, basically, so now they're outsiders, and they have to learn the way of the reef when things in the forest are different than they are on the reef and vice versa. So once you go to an entirely different society, you not only have to learn their ways, but figure out how it is you're going to adapt to these new surroundings that you're in, and then you see the power of this family and how they are able to adapt. But then there's a lot of tropes that come into this movie as well. Like obviously, you know the the new kids on the block, and they don't fit in, so they fight with the other with the other kids and things like that, and they end up becoming friends at certain points. And you know, there's love interests here and there, 
And you've also got, of course, you know, Nyatiri and, and Sully trying to, you know, the power struggle between them and the, and, the, and the Reef people. And there's not really a power struggle. They just want to fit in. They just want, Sully just wants to keep his family safe. But, but at the same time, you know, there, there's a push and pull there a little bit for respect. So that's part of it as well. So you get that trope. You get the trope of, you know, humans bad sort of thing, which was kind of the basis of, 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 of the franchise anyway. Which that's something that you that you see a lot in this movie, and in this movie they really are. So that's that is that that trope is definitely true. And then you've got Spider, who of course is the human, and it turns out, you know, spoiler alert, in case you didn't know this, that's Quattridge's son. So of course they he got left behind, and, and they he was basically raised by the scientists that were also left behind. So he is, you know. He he is part of the Sully family almost by proxy, or at least out of their people by proxy anyway. But never fully accepted by Nyatiri and and, and the and the of, on the full breed of the of the of the group. So that's that's another story altogether. And we'll, I'll get to Spider again here in just a second. But you know the the whole fitting in not fitting in thing. I I will say this though that the visuals kind of distract you from the tropes of this movie because. The visuals of the reef are just so amazing. And as somebody who's been obsessed with marine biology since I was a kid, to see the 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 creatures they created and the world that they created and just the the vastness of it and this this whole idea of exploration of the sea and all of these things that come with it. Obviously, there's a, there's a, there's some heavy science fiction elements to this thing, but you see the creatures that are created and just the the aquatic splendor for lack of a better way of putting it that kind of distracts you from the tropes of this movie but they are there and then you see of course you know one of the things the reef people said was hey we don't want you to bring your war to us well guess what that should not be a spoiler either yeah they brought the war to them because what they want all along is sully that's what they want and the goal of the sky people now is no longer win a war they want to adapt to Pandora themselves and they say, you know, the earth is dying. We need a new home. Bang. Let's just use this one. And that's one of the, that's another revelation for this movie as well. So that's an undertow. And again, a, a little bit of a trope as well. Something that we've seen before and a, a, albeit in a different angle. So th- there's a lot of things going on in this three plus hours. Now, did this movie need to be three plus hours? No. Absolutely not. I will take issue with anybody that says it needed to be three hours. Is there a lot of cool stuff to look at in three hours? Sure. Is this a story that could have been told in two and a half, maybe a little bit less? I think so. And you're saying, you know, well, James, so why does that make a difference? It makes a difference because it's a half hour. Okay. That's, that's what makes a difference. If you wanted to release an extended cut at some point, which is all the rave, all the rage nowadays, then yeah, do that. Do that. But you know, they, but then you're still you're still left with okay, what what is Kiri's story, and we got to get into that because she's the adopted daughter of the Sully family. So so you want to explore that a little bit more. You can do these things, but you also don't need to make your movie three plus hours long and try to fit everything in to one movie. And of course, you've got the tropes of the favorite son and the and the tropes of you know you know the favored children in the family and things like that and and the infighting. Between the between the siblings, that they're they're trope after trope after trope in that, but you have to decide: does that matter to you? There's a ton of action in this thing. It's a really good family story of the Sully family, 
You've got the, you know, you've got your big bad and you've got, you know, Sully is your big hero and, and Natiri as well. So what do you care more about? Do you care more about this family and their story or do you care about the, the tropes and the overall sense of the story itself? Because one thing will make you like this movie more than the other, I think. If you're brought in by this family, then you are going to enjoy this movie because it takes the, it, there's a different heart to this movie than there was to the first one. And I think that you need to be sold on that, not only to enjoy this, but to be interested in what happens next. Because you see what Spider does, and this, I'm not going to spoil this, you see what Spider does at the end of this movie. And what are going to be the ramifications of that? Because you know there's going to be ramifications for that. And what is the next step for Sully and his family now that they've adopted the life of the reef? That what is, what is going to happen now that they are now of this group? And is there more to explore from Pandora, you got to feel like they're not just going to stay in the reef forever. If you're going to open up this world, open it up and let's see what's out there sort of thing. I don't expect the reef people to leave the reef necessarily, not all of them anyway. But now what the next step is, do you continue to expand this world or do you continue to expand these characters? You could do both at the same time, but you just did that. So are you going to try to do that again? So I think that, you know, I'm middle of the road on Avatar The Way of Water because I thought it was visually stunning. I thought the family story was great, but there was some other stuff that it was like, all right, you know, we're not exactly breaking new ground here story-wise. So I'm, I'm middle of the road on this. If you loved it, I understand why you did. If you didn't, I also understand why you wouldn't. But Avatar The Way of Water, definitely worth seeing, definitely worth your time. Maybe not three hours, but you know, you're, you've got your phone, so you're good. Give yourself an excuse to take three hours. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Avatar The Way of Water. Up next, there's a brand new Batman movie to talk about. Batman The Doom That Came to Gotham from Warner Brothers Animation. We'll get to that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Robin Lord Taylor from Gotham, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Heading into the else world, Batman The Doom That Came to Gotham is now available on 4K and digital HD from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment. I was going to give a spoiler-filled review of this, and I'm still going to do some spoilers, but probably not as much as I was going to because I'd rather talk about like the overall theme of the movie anyway. I do want to tell you that Warner Brothers Discovery did give me a free copy of this movie for review. All opinions here are my own. Now, in case maybe this title strikes you as familiar, it is based on the comic book series by Mike Mignola, Ryan Pace, Richard Pace, and Troy Nixie of the same name. And basically, you're, you are in 1920s Gotham, and well, 1920s in general, because it doesn't all take place in Gotham. But then you've got Bruce Wayne, who's an explorer in this, by the way. And, you know, he accidentally kind of unleashes this ancient evil, and then all hell breaks loose with these Lovecraftian supernatural forces. The interesting thing about this, though, is that Bruce is really steadfast in his non-belief of supernatural forces, and it really kind of holds him back in this movie for a long, long time. He's very logic-driven. He's very science-driven. So it's interesting to see him so dug in like this in this story. And part of you kind of could see that from Batman, right? But at the same time, part of you also goes, ah, he would he would eventually come around just because of, you know, what Batman's been through in his life. But then you have to remember this is an Elseworlds story. This is, you know, back a ways. So him not believing this isn't necessarily 
out of the realm of possibility. But there's a lot of things that are out of the realm in this thing. Let me tell you, like like Oswald Cobblepot's a, a, a scientist in this one. It's like a professor. Yeah, you know, Oliver Queen's kind of Oliver Queen, but not. You kind of see a little bit more about Oliver and where he stands towards the end of the movie. But then you look at characters like Mr. Freeze and Killer Croc and Two-Face, and they're just not exactly what you would expect from a classic Batman story. And you can decide for yourself whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. But it's it's definitely cool to kind of get out of that Batman comfort zone every now and then. Because let's face it, there's a lot of Batman, Batman movies out there. And there has been for a while. So every now and then it's nice to know you can get a Batman movie that is just completely outside of what you get from normal Batman movies. And this is about as far away from normal as far as Batman movies are, as you can get. Now, there's still some very Batman elements in this. I mean, the suit looks looks familiar, but it also has a different vibe to it. A lot of the character designs, like I said, are different. But they, there are still classic Batman vibes to it there. So don't go into this thinking that this isn't going to have any Batman vibes at all. But you see these just crazy creatures, and you think, how on earth is he going to even attempt to battle with these? Even being Batman... This is a tall order, and you and you see that it's very much based on. I mean, there's still some tech to this, but it's there's also there's a very low tech element to this movie as well, which I think is really cool. Like you have to use concoctions and potions and things like that at certain points, which I think is really neat to see Batman and company have to use things like that to battle these forces. I think that that's again something that really makes things a little bit different. And then you've got. David Juantoli, who was, you know, from Grimm, who pl- who plays Batman, Batman, who actually played Batman in, in Soul of the Dragon as well. And he just, again, brings a different vibe to this role. And when you're talking about a Batman on an Elseworld situation, he kind of has that delivery to him that makes it feel that much more different. But you still get that Batman vibe. And he's a br- great Bruce Wayne in this, who I will say that especially his Bruce Wayne, I thought, was pretty top-notch. And then you have a different ward for Bruce in this as well when you're talking about Kylie, and she's very much, you know, she's not the one that's, like, looking to be the sidekick necessarily, and she wasn't exactly familiar with what Bruce was doing. And I got to say that Tati Gabriel, or Gabrielle, excuse me, did a really good job playing this innocent character who just really just loved Bruce, loved Bruce Wayne and loved being a part of, of his life and being a part of his family and knew just knew that Bruce was going to take care of her. And that's not something we really get again from a Batman story. There's always this, you know, Bruce's love is always, you you know, the, the, is always the mission is always the next, the next baddie, the next case. But in this particular case, he does get caught up and eventually, but Bruce does come off as the guy that will do anything for his family and for his wards. So, and of course you got Dick Grayson's part of this and there's, there's a, a Sanjay character in this as well that we don't get to see as much. I'll tell you that much right off the bat, but you, that is a different, that is a different part side of Bruce Wayne that I don't think we get to see hardly ever, quite frankly. So that was another thing that just struck me as a little bit different in this movie. And you still get the relationship between Alfred and Bruce as well. Alfred in this movie actually played by Brian George and gives a very gives a very Alfred performance. I'll say that. And yes, that is a compliment. But I love the fact that ultimately, not just these creatures, but your ultimate 
kind of villains of this movie that are trying to bring this evil, you know, to existence are, spoiler alert, Ra's al Ghul and Talia. And we get to see a lot of Talia. And I got to say, the character designs for Ra's and Talia specifically were incredible. Loved the character designs for these characters. Maybe some of the best character designs for Ra's and Talia that I've seen in, in an adaptation maybe ever. I think that they just did such a fantastic job with this and that's and that's partially due to the that's the animators there that's Christopher Berkeley who's the co-director along with Sam Liu and this just amazing work putting that together and making sure that that got to the screen I mean a lot of the character designs in this thing are good don't get me wrong but I, I gotta say those two specifically were great and just the back and forth especially when you've got Talia on the screen and Emily O'Brien I mean golf slow clap because Emily O'Brien just did a fantastic job as Talia in this movie. There's just so many good things going on in this movie. Now, now, at the same time, it's a lot to take in. Okay, there's a lot of moving parts to this movie. You really want to make sure you're sitting down and paying attention to this thing because there's times where you feel like it's moving slow, then it's going to speed up on you. Then maybe it'll slow down a little bit again, and then it'll speed up on you again at the ending. And then the ending is just friggin' bonkers. I'll tell you that right now. It is a crazy, crazy ending. So this thing is a ride. And it's one of those that you're either just going to love it. And this is going to be right up your alley. It's going to be a nice breath of fresh air. Or you're going to come out of it saying, this isn't a Batman movie. And you know what? It is, but it isn't. Right? So you go into that, you go into it knowing that, and you make your determination from there. Right? So that's, that's basically what I'm going to tell you about this thing. So I got to tell you, Batman, the doom that came to Gotham is a wild ride. I'm so glad I got a chance to go on it because this is one that is definitely out there. And I think that that's real cool. That's going to do it for my spoiler ish review of Batman, the doom that came to Gotham up next. There's some really interesting nerd news this week. Let's talk about it. I'm James with This is the down and nerdy podcast. This is comic book writer Elliot Ray Hall. And Donna Kate. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. A very familiar name gets a prime gig. It's time for nerd news. And guess what? Joe Casada's back. According to The Hollywood Reporter and many other outlets, Joe Casada has joined Amazon to head up their, basically their comic book division, their, their, their comic book series division. And this is actually... A perfect match. Now, of course, Joe Casada was editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics for a while, who's the ex-Marvel Entertainment creative chief as well. So if you think about his tenure at Marvel was one of the better runs for Marvel Comics. And, I mean, they were number one by a mile when he was the editor-in-chief over at Marvel. But if you think about the TV, you think about, okay, well, yeah, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was under his tenure, Agent Carter... And those were okay. And then you go, oh, that's right. He was there when Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and all those were going on at Netflix. And that was kind of, you know, shackles off. And if you think about it, he was actually credited, I believe, as an executive producer on all of those on all of those Netflix Marvel shows while he was there. So I, maybe he wasn't involved with the day-to-day, but again, under his tenure, right? And then you think about the fact that... Amazon's got a whole bunch of Sony Marvel titles coming up. Silk Spider Society's one 
that comes to mind. They've got a bunch of other ones that are supposedly planned as well. So this is very familiar territory for Joe Quesada. But then you also think about the fact that they've got Batman Cape Crusader that's going to be coming to Amazon Studios as well. And will Joe Quesada be a part of that? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. So it, you're bringing somebody in that's familiar with Marvel properties, knowing that you're going to have a bunch coming up and somebody that's going to want to add a little bit more authenticity, I think, to those projects, because I think that I trusted Amazon Studios to do that anyway. I know that the trust level with Sony is a little bit shaky when it comes to Marvel. They've had plenty of hits and plenty of misses as well. So I think that getting somebody like Joe Casada that's already familiar with this is a good call. Plus, you know, his work in comics is going to help him with the non-Marvel projects as well, or I should say help Amazon with those non-Marvel projects because Amazon's had a decent track record with comic book adaptations. You know, the Invincible series has done very well. The Boys has obviously done very well. I don't know that Joe Casada will be involved a ton with stuff like The Boys, but because that's already pretty established. Then you, But you look at the wider body of work and think that, you know, input from Joe Casada is not necessarily a bad thing on any comic book-related adaptation project, especially those that might need a little bit of extra help. So I think that this is a big addition for Amazon, and it's funny how they just seem to add the right pieces at the right times, and this, this just feels like one of those fits. So I'm excited to see just how much of an influence Joe Casada will have going forward. From one Marvel bigwig to another, though, we find out from the New York Times, who first broke the story, that Marvel chairman, Marvel Entertainment chairman, I should say, Ike Perlmutter is out at Marvel Entertainment, laid off earlier on this week. And Marvel Entertainment supposedly not just going to be folded into other units of Disney. Well, now what that means exactly is the, now this isn't confirmed as of me recording this, but it seems like Marvel Entertainment will just be absorbed by Marvel Studios. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute, what's the difference? Well, think about Marvel, Marvel Entertainment involves things like, you know, video games and attractions and other things like that that weren't related to the movie and the television division. They were related, but not completely related. So this will now likely all be under the purview of Marvel Studios. And guess what? Kevin Feige was already part of Marvel Entertainment anyway. He already had a role there. So it's almost like there's a seamless transition. And, you know, there were plenty of fans that weren't exactly big fans of Ike Perlmutter anyway. So this isn't, you never want to see anybody lose their job, right? Of course, you never want to see that. But I don't think anybody's crying over over this guy leaving. And it almost seems like, you know, no disrespect, but it almost seems like a non-story because Marvel Studios is already such a well-oiled machine. You just bring in more Marvel to Marvel Studios. And yeah, maybe that gives more responsibility to somebody. But it could also make those divisions function better than they were before so it's not like I don't see the huge loss here I guess and and I'm going to go out on a limb and say Ike Perlmutter is going to land on his feet somewhere I don't know where but I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere the the resume is certainly there so I'm just I, I don't think that we'll see a whole lot of difference here but you know you can only wait and see you might have wondered what was going to happen with my adventures with Superman which was supposed to be on HBO Max but you know, of course, HBO Max now no longer going to be showing that or Batman Cape Crusader. Batman Cape Crusader gets picked up by Prime Video, two season order. Well, now we find out that Adult Swim is actually going to be airing My Adventures 
with Superman. And this series, of course, led by Jack Quaid, who is going to be playing Clark Kent, and Alice Lee, who's going to be playing Lois Lane. And it's going to be very much a team-up between the two of them. And it seems like this is going to be a very Lois Lane-heavy series as well. And I've been really looking forward to this one for a while. But Adult Swim is also kind of expanding. It's kind of you know getting a little bit more spotlight, a little bit more responsibility than it had been before. And of course, you know, we're talking about Royal Crackers this week with Adult Swim. And I think that this is a long time coming. I think that Adult Swim has been able to raise the bar for a long time now. And giving us more Adult Swim, I don't think is a bad thing at all. So you expand Adult Swim and give them, not that some of the titles that they had weren't legit, but you give a Superman series to Adult Swim. That's that's a win-win on both sides because this series, we already saw a little bit of imagery from it so it looks really good and it also maybe putting this on adult swim maybe allows them to kind of make it a little bit more adult if that's you know the route they're going to go i don't think they'll go as raunchy as some of the stuff that's on adult swim i'm not I don't think they're going to go that far but it also allows them maybe to push the envelope a little bit more than they would have if it was even on hbo max or an or another streamer or somewhere else as well so Having this on Adult Swim and Adult Swim seemingly getting a little bit of an expansion here, I think is amazing. And the sky's the limit now, as far as I'm concerned. And this also keeps this within the Warner Brothers family, too, by the way. So having that on Adult Swim allows them to do that. I'm all for this. I think that I was already excited for this series anyway. Now I'm really excited for this. And it also, if if all goes well and Batman Cape Crusader ends up leaving Prime Video at some point, you, then you could always absorb it back into Adult Swim. But then it also begs the question of what could be next for Adult Swim as well. So I think the future is bright for Warner Brothers Animation for Adult Swim. Can't wait to see where this one goes. Finally, since it's been such a big week, this one kind of almost flew under the radar. The fact that Ryan Coogler is going to be helming a new X-Files series with a more diverse cast. This was actually broken by original series creator Chris Carter, who was on on the coast with Gloria Makarenko, and that basically a celebration of the 30th anniversary of the X-Files. And he just kind of casually slipped in there. He's like, yeah, I spoke to the young man, and you know he's going to remount X-Files with a diverse cast. So he's got his work cut out for him. He said that's the direct cut. He's got, work, got his work cut out for him. We covered so much territory. So, good news is, is that they've been in contact. So, I, I never have any questions about, about if Ryan Coogler can handle anything. He's got a proven track record. I'm not even worried about that. But I think that what they have to do with this new X-Files series is you're going to have to give me something completely different. You're going to have to give me a completely different story, a different angle. It can't be the same X-Files story that we had 30-plus years ago, or even when they rebooted it and that, or did the continuation series not too long ago. You're going to have to give me something different. You're going to have to give me something a little bit more updated. You're going to have to give me something that's got a different edge to it. And that's why you go get somebody like Ryan Coogler, who has the creative vision to be able to do something like that. And having a diverse cast... Is, is again, I think, something that's going to be a breath of fresh air for this series. It'll just make it feel really, really different and really new. So I think that if I'm looking 
right now, and, and I don't like to, I don't normally do this, but Winston Duke, who played Mbaku on Black Panther, I think would be a great lead for this series. If you listen to Winston Duke play Bruce Wayne and Batman in the Batman Unburied podcast, you'll hear what I hear and say, this guy could be really good for an X-Files series. There's just a presence about him and a gravitas about him that I think he could really, really nail an X-Files series as a lead and then pair him up with whoever you want, quite frankly, because just seeing, I think Winston Duke would really add some legitimacy to this project. I don't know what, you know, what his schedule is, is like or anything like that, but I think having him be a part of a series like this, team back up with Ryan Coogler, a couple of guys who are very familiar with one another, build a foundation. You get your foundation piece in Winston Duke, and then you build out from there and start building a story. And I, I just think that this this would be a really, really good idea. So I think that we're a long way away from finding out, you know, details about this project, you know, like where it's going to go. It's not necessarily going to be on Fox, I don't think. So I wouldn't necessarily... I wouldn't automatically assume this is going to be a Fox series. There's no, there, there's absolutely no indication of that. But 20th Century tele, Television is going to be a pro, part of this, 20th Century Studios Television. And that, again, falls under the Disney purview. And Ryan, Ryan Coogler already has that first look deal with Walt Disney anyway, his five-year overall deal. So this could certainly fall under that. I'm excited. I think this could be really, really cool. And I'm very excited to see your name like Ryan Coogler attached to this thing. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests from Royal Crackers. And just so much wonderful stuff on this week's show. Make sure you're following all over social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. Appreciate your support across all those platforms. Also, make sure you're subscribing wherever you get your podcast really helps the show out a lot. Make sure you subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. Please, please hit that subscribe button. Find the Down and Nerdy Podcast on there. I really appreciate it. And you can always find everything about us on downandnerdypodcast.com. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story. Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.